Welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz with Mike Miller, and we want to welcome you to the program tonight. We are jumping back into our Proverbs series. Looking forward to that. We are in chapter 22, and as I was reading through this again and and getting my, my thoughts together and putting some notes together, I thought, man, this is interesting because we just talked about raising children, and there's some passages in here, some scriptures references in here that go along, coincide with what we just did in closing up that series uh, on the family. And so, um, so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And so we are revisiting uh, our series here tonight. Mike, how's things going with you, brother? Man, it's going okay. <clears throat> just, yeah, a lot. You know, been busy like everyone else's. I guess that's nothing new for anyone. Um, but we, my wife and I made a quick trip up to Louisville. Got to see a church family for the first time in a couple months. Um, attend a wedding, a Christian wedding of a um, couple. We hosted the female for kind of dinners throughout her first, I think it was her first semester mm-hmm. at Boys College Southern Seminary. And so I get to go to their wedding and, and just be encouraged about the importance of marriage once again and to to think about the goodness that god has lavished on us in the institution of marriage yeah amen amen yeah it's been a while i know uh um for those that may not be aware you guys have been down in florida for a while um yeah and some renovations at the house and so that's why you've kind of been out but uh that's uh good to get back home you know and uh, uh see your church family and everything and uh um so i'm glad you guys was able to make it back there now you guys are back in florida now right yeah okay we are <clears throat> well glad you was able to make that that drive safely uh you did drive right and <laughs> no you flew my oh. arms are tired yeah I'm <laughs> Yeah, well, that's even better because that saves time, right? Yeah. Saves a lot of time. So, all right. So we're going to be dealing with Proverbs chapter 22 tonight. And uh, <clears throat> it says 1 through 17, but we're probably going to uh, end the program at 16 tonight. 17 is going to go into uh, next week's program when we do the rest of Proverbs. But, Mike, my throat is kind of uh, uh, getting raspy on me right now. So why don't you go ahead, if it's before you, 
and uh, get us started with some Proverbs. Maybe actually give us a little introduction of, since it's been a while since we've been in Proverbs, of what the book of Proverbs is and what we're gleaning from it and, and the wisdom that's there. And then uh, kind of read for us a couple of or the verses and we'll, we'll jump right in. Yeah. So the book of Proverbs, for those of you who haven't really studied it or haven't been listening to our series, is kind of simply a proverb is a, a short um, short statement of wisdom. And what we see in Proverbs, um, specifically, though, Proverbs are seen across ancient Near East um, countries either, or yeah, countries like Babylon, Egypt has Proverbs. Um, but what makes the Proverbs of the Bible different is that there are one, given to us by God, spoken by God, probably collected and edited, if not created by Solomon, who I hold is to believe is the author of this, the preacher. So that would make him the author of not only Proverbs, which he references in Ecclesiastes. So he's a writer of Ecclesiastes and then also the Song of Solomon. And what Proverbs does and how God has used them is that these quick statements hit hard they're quick and they're impacting but they're not promises they're they're wisdom on how to live in god's world so if you do them in general the outcome will show will come and all of these and all of the proverbs here are built upon god's law so they are taking god's law and helping us to live in God's world. And again, that's the important part to think about, is that these are built upon what God has already given to the people. And it's now how we are to live in his world. And when we follow the wisdom of Proverbs, we will live a life glorifying God when we think about these things and how they affect our lives, we can then live in God's world and in one sense prosper, maybe not always physically and in treasures, but the very least will prosper spiritually as we think and as we do these things. And I think a lot of times when we think about the Proverbs, and we think about other people who display these Proverbs, we see them to be true over and over again. And so this just gives us an opportunity to think about God's Word in a very practical way, in very succinct, pithy statements. That's the words I've been looking for since I've started this. And mm -hmm. to, to think, and just to, to think about it. I mean, this is how we do, this is, I mean, God has given this to us to, for our sanctification, for us to grow in knowledge and wisdom. I mean, the, the theme verse of this, of this book is Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as Christians, we are called to fear the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. But fools hate it. Fools are against God. So to, to read the Proverbs is to gain knowledge, gain wisdom, 
And with that knowledge and wisdom, we're able to please the Lord and reciprocally gain more wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well stated there, brother. All right. So as we get into this, uh, the verse, the first verse here that we, we come to, uh, which is also the title of our program here tonight, um, verse one in chapter 22, it says, a good name is to be chosen rather than riches. And when we look at this, it's somewhat self-explanatory. I mean, obviously, to have a good name, it's better than having all the gold, having all the money, having all the wealth and the fame, all of those things. Um, it's better to have a good name. Um, so when we think about what does that mean to have a good name, <clears throat> your conduct, your character, your integrity, you're, you're someone who is upright, someone who is seeking to do that which is godly, which is righteous, as opposed to um, someone who maybe has the riches, has the fame, but has the character and conduct of something that is ungodly. Yeah, I think we can think about this in how, and we've talked about this in the past, but how do people gain their riches? And I think oftentimes when you think about a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches is because these great riches have been gained wrongly. Mm-hmm. And that's going to taint their name. And had these persons chosen to have a good name, the riches don't matter. And again, you know, when you think of favor is better than gold and silver, you know, it relates to the same thing. There's there's something greater when we act appropriately, when we obey God. And I mean. My, kind of the story that brings out to me is the story in Genesis of Babel and then preceding chapter when it or pre- little. Yeah. But in the next chapter, Abraham, well, what does the Tower of Bible say? These people want to make a great name for themselves. So mm-hmm. they gather their, they gather their supplies, they gather kind of their wealth and they build this big tower trying to make it heaven. And yet God still has to step down and he confuses their language. Mm-hmm. so that they can't do this. But what's the promise to Abraham? God telling him, I will make a great name for you. Right. And Abraham was rich. He mm-hmm. did have wealth. He had gold and silver. And yet God made him his name greater. And I think the the focus there, and when we see, obviously with Abraham, it's a prompt. It's a promise. But Abraham still had to have faith. He still had to believe in this promise and to enact. And because he believed, we see it worked out in that way. And so, again, that we have these examples of what does it does it mean to have a good name, and that you know you can have a good name and still be rich. But it's it's what do you desire? Do you desire the good name or desire riches? And we all know the love of money is the root of kind of evilness mm-hmm. or evil. Yeah. And then that, that key word there that you mentioned that, that favor and the only way that we can have favor with God is to be right with God, to be at peace with God through Christ. It's the only way mm-hmm. that man can have favor with God. Um, and as you mentioned, Abraham had this peace with God because he trusted him. He had faith in what God had promised and what God had said to him. And so, um, yeah, it's better to have that name, a name that uh, 
that God has given to his people. That when you think about it, when those who are in Christ and his imputed righteousness has been given to us, we are seen through Christ before God, right? So we we have been given a name. We have favor with God because we have peace with God. We've been redeemed uh, by Christ. And so, uh, yeah, much better than having all the, the riches in the world. But that doesn't mean, like you just said, Mike, that doesn't mean that God may not bless you with those things, but getting them the way in which God is blessing you for it, not doing it in a deceitful way. And we even see that in some of this here uh, in the proverb yeah. today in chapter 22. All right, so verse 2, it says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Uh, and when we think about this verse here, you're always going to have rich and poor together. They're always, they need each other. Actually, when you look at a society, like in an American society, <laughs> you have rich people, you have poor people, and the rich people need the poor, and the poor need the rich to maintain the society, to to continue to, the, the rich to employ people, to build things and to run their businesses. And the, the, the ones that are poor are down here. They're, they're needing that, that income to provide for their families. Um, but it is the Lord who is the maker of them all. So when we look at this one, first, God is the creator of all man, right? Whether you're rich or poor. And God is also the one by his grace, by his, uh, I should say in his sovereignty and his providence, that causes one to maybe grow up in wealth or to achieve those wells, wealth, and then one maybe to grow up in poverty. Um, he is also the maker of them all. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I think, too, you see within this Proverbs that the rich and the poor have the same humanity. While they may be different economically and they need each other, and God, for his purposes, has that. But at the same time, they have the same humanity. Mm -hmm. They have the same creator. And how we treat the rich if you're poor, the poor if you're rich, matters. Because they're a, in essence, they are the same, they have the same value before God. Right. Because he made them. Mm-hmm. And he endowed them with his image. And one does not have more and the other one less because he is rich and the other one's poor. And I think that plays a part. Even when we think about our, in our, our context about equality and economic equality. And once, you know, to think about it, we, we need to approach those ideas, understanding that the rich are human. They are like us. They deserve the same care and attention that a poor person does. And that we need to think about these things, even in how we treat them. I mean, this is, is this not what James talks about, about being partial, mm -hmm. about giving the rich man the seat and the poor man not? The church is full of people who are rich and poor. How did you I know I opened up there? <laughs> <laughs> you stole my thunder. No, go ahead. Sorry. And so I think we we have to think about what that means for how we deal with each other. The church, everyone is equal and that's how it's supposed to be. And in the same way we should consider outside the church, how everyone has the value of God. So we need to stand up for those who cannot stand up because they have value. 
We need to defend those who can't defend themselves. And you need to, you know, using the law, go after those who devalue people and to attack their ideas in order to help support and think about it. So I think this has kind of reaching aspects when we think about the Imago Day and what it means for us as humans. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is very important. And and as you mentioned there, Mike, and you went to James too, it's, it's where I was turning to is, is that sin of partiality. We see it within the church. God's saying, don't do this. And James being that book of wisdom that we see in the New Testament. Don't, don't do this. Don't look at someone who has riches and treat them more favorably than someone who is poor. Right. Because again, God is the maker of, of both male or both uh, a rich person and a poor person. And within Christ, there's no distinction between these two. Uh, there may be societal distinctions, uh, economic distinctions, but in Christ, they're one. They're one. And that's where we find our unity. That's what's so so wonderful about the local church and the, the church in general, universally. But then the local church where you come together and you have people with different backgrounds, maybe different cultural backgrounds, uh, different economic backgrounds, um, different interests and likes. You know, some people may like hunting. Some people may like sports. Some people may not like either of those things. But yet you can come together and have uh, unity and commonality because it's found in Christ. And so, you know, it's, it's when we look at these, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, God's the maker of them all, and they're to be treated as such because life is valuable. People are need to be treated with such because they are created in the image of God. So anything else, Mike, or we'll move on to verse three. Move on. All right, so verse three says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. This seems like this is something we've covered in past uh, um, Proverbs as well. Um, but the prudent being a wise man, someone who's wise, uh, they're cautious and they're careful in, in how they conduct themselves, in their behavior, uh, in the decisions that they make. If they foresee evil, they want to avoid it. Where this unwise individual, um, he, he's not the, the wise one's hiding himself from it. I'm going to do what I can to avoid this. Whereas the unwise... Uh, he just simply goes on and suffers it. You know, it's like they run to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, just the stark difference. One who is discerning, sees danger, perceives it, and reacts to it. And the simple is kind of seen as one who doesn't discern it. He doesn't see it. doesn't care. And goes through it and you see what happens. One mm. lives in a sense as he hides himself. He's not injured. And the other one suffers. He's injured. There's a setback to it. And just to consider that God has called us to be wise, called us to have um, I'm losing my words now. Anyways, he he calls us to think about what we do. I mean, every idle word, mm -hmm. every action we do is accountable to God. And so when we see danger that may cause us to sin and we don't turn away from it, we act like the simple. We go on mm -hmm. and we suffer the consequences because God disciplines those whom he loves. Right. 
but we grow in strength and overcoming our sin when we see the danger that can lead us to sin and we hide ourselves from it. Yeah. And you also, you mentioned already the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So those who fear the Lord receive wisdom from God and they turn to Christ rather than going into the consequences of their sinful state or their sinful actions. They turn to Christ to cover them from that. Whereas the unbeliever, the one who refuses to turn to Christ, he goes on and, and for for them, sin begets more sin. So it, it, evil only compounds upon more evil. Um, and, and they're on this broad road to destruction and not even realizing many people are self-deceived. They think they're, they're right with God, but they're on a broad road to destruction uh, that leads to death. And that's the ultimate judgment that these individuals will face. There are times where we experience judgments in the, in the physical, where if, if you go and spend uh, all your money, um, all your credit cards, you run them up, there's going to be bills that are coming in the mail. You're going to have consequences for being foolish and unwise with your 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 funds. But um, there's also the eternal consequences of sin, right? And that you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for all of these things in your life. And so the wise man, the prudent one, sees danger and hides himself. Well, where do we as Christians hide ourselves? We hide ourselves in Christ because we turn to him. The, un, the, the unwise, the ones who are foolish, they don't turn because only a fool says in his heart, there is no God and they reject him. You know? Yeah. All right. Verse four um, says the reward, the reward for humility and fear, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Kind of going into what we were just kind of talking about as well. So this, the reward for being humble. You know, the Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord. We also know that it is God who humbles us to bring us to this point of understanding and recognizing our need for a Savior. So when we do that, there's that fear of the Lord. Uh, we receive Christ uh, in our life. And th this reward is riches and honor and life. Now, again, riches doesn't always mean the financial riches. Um, but these are the things that, that this proverb is telling us here. The reward for that humility and fearing the Lord, there's riches, there's honor, and there's life. And we ultimately think of the eternal life that we receive in Christ. Yeah, this verse really summarizes different themes we've already talked about when we consider the fear of the Lord and also humility. So I mentioned Proverbs 117, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have... Um, with that understanding that we fear the Lord um, in Proverbs two, again, Solomon talking to his son, he says, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. You can think of Proverbs nine ten: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy one is insight. 10 27 fear of the Lord prolongs life. So we can see fear of the Lord and life. Um, 14 27 again, fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And when we consider humility, um, eighteen twelve, we talked about it. before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And then kind of what brings these both together in Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. 
and humility comes before honor. So again, we see those come together there. And now here again in verse chapter 22, verse four, the reward of humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honors and life. And when I think we need, when we think about what that brings, you're right. There's not, we might not be like rich in what we consider riches, mm -hmm. but we, I think not only are we kind of rich in our life and who we are, what, you know, we've already talked about a little bit about a good name, humility and that, but I think there's there that in wisdom, you have inheritance for your children. So there are riches that can be passed down and it's kind of a general idea, but not only that and kind of what we'll see here in verse six is the riches of training our children and mm -hmm. the riches of all these other, the riches of just being faithful and seeing God's grace in it, the honor of being, you know, golden head and faithful. We, we honor those who show faithfulness to the end. Mm -hmm. And then there's life. As Jesus said, give you life and give life abundantly finding our life in Christ, the enjoyment of the life that God gives to us. And so this is what humility and the fear of the Lord is. It brings us an abundant life. Right. Amen. We, becomes one, we become one that, um, I mean, prospers in all that we do. Let's just think about mm -hmm. someone in the tree there. And it brings flourishing into our homes, into our lives. And so this is, in the end, the reward of being faithful to the end and having not only a physical heritage to pass on, but a spiritual heritage and the enjoyment of being kind of honored for the faithfulness that one has towards God. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so key, brother. What you just hit on there was really an excellent, excellent point in this prospering. I think we're, we're so afraid to talk about prosperity for those that are in Christ because of the way that it's been abused by the, the word of faith kind of, you know, um, understanding of things or teaching of things or perversion of things. And so, but those who are in Christ, he promises to give us life and a life abundantly. Like you said, that that is not something that we should be afraid to speak about how Christ gives us these things. Every good gift is from above. Uh, it doesn't mean we, we will we will be without trials and, and tribulations or, or struggles in life. Uh, but Christ has given us everything we need. And, and as you mentioned, you know, growing up, being able, one of the things we, we've, we've mentioned multiple times here on this program is regardless of the numbers of how many people subscribe to us on YouTube or on Facebook, follow us, whatever, while we, we do want to reach people, I mean, we would be lying if we, we didn't say we want to reach people. But ultimately, we know that when we do this, that we are leaving a legacy for our children to come back and look at what we taught, what we believed, what we understood from God's word. And then and then hopefully our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, Lord willing, they'll still be able to um to to have means of of pulling up these shows 
but leaving a legacy, having that honor, having that uh, uh, life, that legacy, riches, like you said, you know, for our children, being faithful to what the Lord has given to us uh, and, and just um, raising them to know the Lord and to be able to look back and see these things. Um, that's important, right? And we, we're just being faithful. Those who are faithful with little, God gives them more, right? And so, yeah. all right, so verse, where are we at here? Verse five. five. Thorns and snares are the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep from, keep far from them. So it's kind of like reversing now from the positive going to the, the, the negative first and then the positive afterwards. But this uh, thorns and snares are these troubles that uh, one would receive in life, uh, the struggles, these things, uh, getting yourself into situations. When you are living crookedly, when you are living contrary to what God has given to us in how we should live out our lives, um, you're doing it deceitfully, dishonest gain. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have things because you're always going to try to have to maintain certain things. It's going to cause issues, uh, and and it's it's just not godly, and so therefore it's going to bring those types of things. But it says uh, in verse or in the, the second half of that, but whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. And so even though we're talking about a physical aspect. It's talking then about your soul, guarding your soul. And again, I think what we've we've mentioned, how, how does one guard their soul? They turn to Christ. They turn to Christ. Don't turn to the world's way of thinking. Don't go to Mr. Worldly Wise and try to figure out how to deal with culture and everything around you. Turn to Christ. Guard your soul, because he's the one that's looking out after our soul. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the nail just to to think about how we travel the road how we live our lives here the way designates our lives so are you going to be one who kind of lives in going down an immorality and being ensnared by your sin or are you going to do what proverbs or not proverbs hebrew says into um to lay your, to drop the snares of your sin and to pursue Christ, to pursue holiness, to pursue his word and to get strengthened by his spirit, which he lavishly gives us. And you just, yeah, again, a call for Christians to work out their salvation in fear and trembling and to think about what lies ahead to be discerning because you will be entrapped when you go down the way of the crooked, there, there is no, you, you can't avoid it. It mm -hmm. will happen. But the, the one who guards his soul, who keeps away from the way of the crooked will find life. And he was going to stay far away. And you know, the problem we can think about that. It sounds so good, but in the end, because we are corrupted, we mm -hmm. still have sin in us that corrupted way is so tempting right again that's why we have to find while we have to guard our hearts that guarding only comes by the power of the spirit that's in us yeah yeah and what does that scripture say uh, uh resist the devil flee from him uh -huh. how's it go uh, um it's, it's slipping my mind like um resist the devil it's in james right so and he will flee 
So you resist them. You don't give, you don't give the devil a foothold. You don't give into those temptations. You flee those temptations because as you said, Mike, we, we have this flesh that still remains and the way of the crooked is always trying to get us to go that way. Always trying to get us to go that way, but we have the spirit. God always provides a way of escape. Yeah. And so we resist the devil. We don't give in to those things. We we flee from those things. But thankfully, by God's grace, for those times where we do fail, we have an advocate. We have one who is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness when we confess it. Um, yes. And so that, that should cause us to think about those things. To, to consider those things before we give into them temptations. But if we do give into them temptations to then obviously turn to Christ immediately and, um, you know, uh, to, to confess it. And my wife put it up there to help me out here. Uh, the verse says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so that first part there is submission to God, you know, submitting to God. Therefore, then you're being able to resist the devil. But if you're not in submission to God, um, then you're going to be overtaken. All right. Anything else, Mike? Yep. All right. So this next one, Mike, I'll give it to you um, since you'd already referenced to it. And we've kind of been talking about it on our last podcast as well, our last show. Uh, Verse six, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So yeah, I think, you know, when we hear about this verse, we always assume kind of the positive side that as Christian parents, if we are diligent and training our child, they will continue on the path. And it kind of makes sense. You think about in our context, you have 18 years approximately to train up a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's obviously assuming that you're a Christian and your child is born and, and you raise them in the fear and admiration of the Lord the entire time. And in doing so, when we think about how much training goes in there and the molding of their hearts, that even if they don't believe, they're going to have Christian ethics. Mm-hmm. They're gonna to they're gonna have some sort of morality. I mean, you think about this with like Benjamin Franklin, who's a deist, and yet he still has a biblical. Um, Christian morality, even though he's not a Christian. I think, and I think there is elements in which obviously in training up the children, we hope that God uses his word to convert their hearts and to continue the lineage, kind of the promise that is given in um, the 10 commandments. And, and even in his name about giving grace to generations who who love him but i think we also need to consider also the negative the impact when we and once it's trained our children in ungodly ways mm-hmm. i was when i was kind of thinking about this i was reminded of the song cat cats in the cradle by harry chaplin mm-hmm. 1974 yeah. not that i was around when it came out but i think it, it proves my illustration and quite nicely and i cho- i was looking through it verses two and four really not that i there's four verses i just chose the it's not like i just chose the even ones so i think they should really kind of prove my point here 
So in verse two, the song goes, my son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, dad. Come on, let's go play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, ah, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And, and he, he walked away and his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be like you. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be like you. And then verse four, now the son is an adult. The dad has retired. And it goes, I have long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, dad. It's been sure like nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he had grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. I think what this illustrates is that as parents, we train our children up, no matter how we do it, whether it's in the fear and admiration of the Lord or if it's not. And how they act in the future is a reflection of our training. And we see this even in the church growth movement and with youth groups that chose to do games and activities instead of teaching the Bible, teaching them the the necessities of faith, what, what we need to believe as Christians, and they fall away in high school because their parents, frankly, were hypocrites. They went to Sunday morning and lived like the world the rest of the, the week. Mm. those are reflections of what it means to train up a child. And, and when we don't train up the child, like we talked about last week in our episode, it has impacts. And so this first really for Christians is even more. So when we think about your children will be trained by someone or something even more, how do we train up our children in the fear and admiration or knowing that, doing so and the longevity of it will last them until they leave this world. Yeah. Now that cats in the cradle is stuck in my head. <laughs> no, so, but I just, no, it's I a great just song. Really good it's that. a good song and it does cause you to reflect and think about, uh, you know, this and it's amazing how you've got a, a quote unquote secular song. It's not a Christian song, but that can understand that principle. You yep. didn't have time. You did things. It's not that you didn't love your children, but you put other things before going and throwing a ball and didn't have time to do these things with your kids. They grew up to be just like you didn't have time to come meet with you and probably are doing the same thing with their kids. Right. And then you get into these cycles cycles. And so it is so very important. And we talked more about this, I think last week on the program, uh, we do have some more Proverbs in here uh, that's going to deal with children, but in this chapter that we're going to cover here tonight, but we also want to encourage you to go back and listen to that family series uh, and the last one we just did on um, children raising kids. So verse seven here says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower borrower is the slave to the lender. So the rich ruling over the poor. So you're, you're under obligation to the one who you borrow from. You're under obligation. Uh, you're forced to be subject to them, to comply with them. Um, and, and this is, you know, what we see in life when you borrow, you're subject to the lend. You being the receiver are subject to the lender. Um, 
It's basically, I, I think it's pretty, pretty clear here, but the rich rule because they're the ones lending, right? They're the ones giving this stuff away um, or lending, not giving it away. Although in our society, it's like, uh, I was listening to something today where they were talking about uh, um, uh, trying to make some adjustments because of what's going on, trying to um, the the debt ceiling and what they're doing here and wanting to cut back on some of the welfare stuff that goes out. There are people that do have needs, but there's a lot of people that are able to work. Um, and so, you know, uh, I don't want to get off in a tangent, but it's kind of something I was listening to today. But but the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see why um, Ramsey, can't think of his first name. Dave so, Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, so against credit cards. I mean, when you use them wrongly, when you're foolish with them, they rule over you. They they control you because that's where your money is going to. Because every month they come and calling. They come. You have to at least pay the minimum or you know, higher interest rates. And to to think about that, and what since money has power and how we consider and use our money, the rich rule over the poor. They have the money to buy things and, and make kind of the poor work for them. And against again you know the borrower is the slave to the lender like it has to pay up it has to do these things for the lender and i just just consider you know the lots in which we find ourselves obviously when we go to the new testament you have peter talking about slaves being submissive to their leaders and if they can and Paul's the same thing, but if you can get free, become free. And I think when we think about the slavery in which we have with lenders, I mean, just to kind of, in my current situation, the insurance company pays us out to help fix our house. And my mortgage company has to also endorse this check. Now it's because they have a financial interest into my house because I have to I have a loan, I have to pay it, and they have a stake in this loan and this and this property. And so just it shows you how how you're not free when you're under someone else's rule. When you're out from under from your loans, you're free to use your money for the things you want to use it for. I think so there's there's an act of freedom that comes when we understand kind of even the financial aspects of that. And even I mean you think about the taxingness of of sin on our soul mm -hmm. and the life that comes when the the burden is lifted off of us and to live in freedom especially within the new life God has given to us. Yeah. Yep. All right. So verse eight says, um, <clears throat> excuse me, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and a rod of his fury will fail. And so when you think of this, the Bible speaks about uh, in Galatians, you reap what you sow. Uh, in Job four, chapter, verse, chapter four, 
verse 8, it says, As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble, they reap the same. You're going to reap the same. This is a warning here. But this is what your, your lifestyle, your character, your conduct is. Someone who is sowing injustice, you're going to reap the same. It's going to come back upon you, right? Yeah, and I think if you think about it in connection with verse 7, who's the one who is sowing injustice? Who's the one who's using a rod of fury? Well, it's probably the rich person on the poor. He's treating them unfairly. We've already saw in the beginning how the rich and the poor are created equal before God. God is their maker. And so when the the rich or anyone sows injustice, they're going to, like you said, reap the benefits. And the rod of fury, the rod they use to commit the injustice will fail. It will come back against them. Mm -hmm. If not in this life, in the life to come. And so it is a fearful thing to think about what are that our our means do not justify the ends. And God cares. And if you use the wrong means to get the ends that you desire, God will punish you for it. Yeah. All right. So verse nine says, whoever has, <clears throat> excuse me, my throat, I'm telling you. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And this idea of having a bountiful eye is one who is looking for ways to bless others. They're looking for opportunities, right? And so this, this passage here, the scripture, whoever has uh, or is looking for ways to be generous, to bless someone else, um, he shares his bread with the poor. This is someone who, again, is concerned about and cares for other people and looking to find ways to bless other people. Um, and I think today, and I think even then when this is written, you, you need to exercise discernment. Um, but your your heart, your desire is you're looking for ways to bless others. You're looking for ways to take care of and to provide something for someone who has a need. And um, that's ultimately what you want to do. Now, obviously, there is discernment that needs to come into play at times, um, because as we've talked about with Proverbs, these give us practical wisdom. Um, but we know there are people who take advantage of things. And so you have to exercise wisdom in, in doing that today. But again, it's looking for ways in which you can do this. Yeah, and I think when we think about it more closely, especially in the New Testament, there's areas and spheres in which we should be more willing to give than maybe in others. You see in Acts that they, um, I'm just going to pull it up before I start butchering names. Um, when you, we look in Acts, we see that they give others. <clears throat> Um, Barnabas sold his field, brought the money, laid it upon the apostles' feet. They were distributing to each as they had need. There mm -hmm. was this collective in the church and able to ensure that the fellow members had what they needed. Right. And that comes on the next story 
So that's Acts chapter four, the end of four. The next story is Ananias and Sapphira who lie about the field mm-hmm. or how much money they made by selling the field. And we see kind of when it's like they had the freedom to take the money they wanted to for their field and give the rest. The issue is that they said they sold it for a certain amount after they had kept it back a little for themselves and have done it. I think when we think about generosity, we should be generous with the people in our church. Mm-hmm. We see this with kind of the importance of deacons as they distribute what is needed to the people. Their their role in the church is to be that way. So the people give in offerings and the the deacons help distribute it as it is needed within the body of the church and then as we kind of move away, there is more discerning aspects when you think about right. parachurch and charity organizations that are trying to advance the gospel or not advance the gospel in some mm-hmm. cases. And then also when you deal with, you know, the unbelievers and mm-hmm. and helping those who are poor and homeless and to think about what is best for them. Again, in the end, we need to be charitable to what God, because God has given us, God mm-hmm. has blessed us with that money to be used for his glory. And so to think about those in that way, I mean, this is the importance of attending a local church and giving faithfully to the local church in order that they may be able to use these means for the advancement of the gospel. Yeah. All right, verse 10 says, drive out a scoffer and strife strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. So when you think about this, the, a scoffer is one who is mocking at sin, right? And so <clears throat> you, you drive this individual out. Uh, you think of the instance in uh, Genesis with Abraham. You brought up Abraham earlier with Ishmael. Ishmael uh-huh. was a mocker. Uh, he was a scoffer um, at Isaac. And so what, what happened? Well, they cast him out. They drove him out. And um, <clears throat> so it says, drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. And these are the things that are caused by the scorner, by the scoffer. Um, they okay. stir up contention, strife uh, in their families, in their relationships, in churches. Uh, this is what they do. You drive them out. This then even comes into, we talk about Matthew 18 when it comes into church discipline. What happens? You have someone who comes in that are, is doing these things, mocking at sin, causing uh, quarreling, abuse, um, strife. They put them out. You go to them. You try to correct it. <clears throat> Man, I'm really struggling with my throat. But, um, but yeah, you know, this is what you do. Then you drive these individuals out uh, through the practice of church discipline because again, they get in and it's the same situation. You'll know these people because in every situation they're in, this is what their, their life is like, the conduct of their life. This is what a scoffer is. One who's contentious, who's always quarreling, uh, always causing abusive, you know, situations with people, um, never having any peace within their relationships, uh, families, within their relationships at church. That's not, <clears throat> the kind of individual you want to be. So you drive them out. Yeah. I mean, it's simple kind of to think about it. A scoffer creates disunity, creates disturbance and to push them out, to drive them out is to take the fruit of what they bring. 
and to to eliminate the the bad fruit that's coming from this thorny tree. Mm-hmm. All right, verse uh, eleven. It says, "He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have a king as his friend." You think about this: the man's heart. A man's heart is naturally impure. Because by our very nature, we are children of wrath. We are born with an unpure heart. But when we think about this, we see this referenced in the Old Testament. One who is righteous, think of Noah, you think of these individuals. It wasn't that they had the righteousness in them, in and of themselves. It was because of God's grace in their life. So one who loves purity, they love the things that are godly, the things that are good and righteous. They love the things that God loves. Uh, These individuals, their speech is going to be, it's going to characterize what's in their heart. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then it says, they will have the king as their friend. So in in a earthly sense, you're going to have people who are going to respect you. We talked about that honor earlier. If you live in such such a way where you're someone of integrity, someone of a godly character, of good conduct, your character is, is one that is upright, you're going to be respected even by unbelievers, you know, um, and those in authority here as kings. But then ultimately we think of the king of kings, the king of kings. When your heart is pure, you're seeking the things of God. You love the things of God. It's going to be seasoning in your your tongue. You're, you're, you're going to, your speech is going to inform that and show that. And then you're, you're a friend of the king of kings. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's important to think about, you know, what it means as you're, as you were alluding to that this, not only are they moral, the, you know, in regeneration, their hearts been changed, they're a moral being, but their speech is a reflection of that. And now they have the ear of the King to a, and I think to know here that a righteous King would want a person like this. In a commentary, looking at here, the commentary uh, mentions Hushas, David's friend, because he was a friend of the king. He was wise. He was moral. He gave good counsel, good wisdom. He had a fear of the Lord. And so when we think about what that means is for a king to rule rightly, he needs people who will give him the right wisdom. Then with that wisdom that comes from above. And so... I think this verse really calls us to think about, am I able to give good wisdom? You know, am I, am I one who can, if I had the opportunity to direct the King's heart into what is good and right? Yeah. Amen. All right. Verse 12, it says, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he overthrows the words of a traitor. And we think about in the providence of God, he preserves truth. He preserves his knowledge, his wisdom. He preserves it for us in his word. We have his word. But where these traitors, they seek to pervert it. They seek to corrupt it. But yet God still preserves it. And he deals with Uh these individuals. I think that's what we're seeing here in this this verse. Yeah, I mean, just think about um, biblical doctrine, right doctrine. 
there are people who try to overthrow it, whether they're Arius or Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons or any other false religion that goes against the word. And yet, the truth of the Bible remains. Mm -hmm. It overcomes. We see this throughout church history. I mean, the Reformation is a revival of the word of God, of biblical doctrine. And to think about how God used Martin Luther and John Calvin and Knox and um, Tyndale and others like them to keep his word. But I think, you know, in another, in another aspect in which, you know, God is truth. Mm-hmm. So when God reveals himself and God reveals things, it is true. So there is, you know, so there's that aspect of in one way sin will find out because God will reveal it. It will be found out when you're a traitor. He will overthrow the words of, of the traitor because truth, truth always wins because God is truth and God cannot lose. Yeah. It made me think of this too. Um, you know, in second Timothy chapter three, and I'll read this here, you know, this godlessness in the last days uh, is what it's titled in my, my Bible. But it says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of, of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeasable, or unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and captive, capture weak women, burdened with sin, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But then verse 9, it says, But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. So as we're talking about here, the, the truth always, God exposes these traitors. He exposes these, is what you were saying there, Mike. The, you can make do things in, behind closed doors, but God always brings these things to the light. And when you seek to try to pervert and twist God's word or live in this kind of characteristics that are ungodliness, you're not going to get very far because people will see that folly because it can't stand against the truth. All right, moving on uh, verse 13. It says, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. So obviously this is a a verse making excuses to be lazy. Uh (laughs) Go ahead. And not, and that's all I got. (laughs) And not just like, like weak excuses, like fanciful, preposterous excuses. Uh, Commentator noting is that lions weren't usually in the city. They were plentiful in the woods but they weren't in the city. So he's, he's making things up. He's, he's making kind of in our language, a mountain out of an anthill, a molehill. And 
thinking that if he leaves his house, this lying that's going to kill him and just making these excuses to maintain laziness to, to stay on welfare and how, and having people support him instead of as an able bodied person being able to support themselves as God has called us to work. Yeah. All right. Verse 14, it says the mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. So you think about one who with the one who is in this last part of this, this uh, passage that the Lord is angry with the reason that the Lord is angry. The Bible says the Lord is angry with the wicked every day, right? He hates all workers of iniquity, the Bible says. And so when one is continuously living this lifestyle of sin, this is, I mean, the Lord's turning you over to these things. He'll turn you over to it. We see that in Romans 1. And so the mouth of this forbidden woman is a deep pit. And in the commentary uh, with Gil, he says the mouth of harlots, the kisses of their mouth, their fair speech and flattering words, they ensnare and draw the unwary uh, persons to commit sin with them. So God just kind of turns you over to it and you're just kind of drawn into it. Yeah, we've seen this early on in our study back in chapter two, chapter three. And I mean, even throughout the rest of those early chapters up to verse chapter nine. And I mean, we think about just even the language, you know, the subductiveness of the mouth, smooth words, mm -hmm. even maybe a, a beauty, a worldly beauty, but it's a deep pit. It's a pit you can't get out of. You've fallen into and you need help to do it. And who's the one who's fallen into this pit and can't get out of it? Well, it's the one who has forsaken Christ, forsaken God, and choose to live in a life of rebellion against him. He will fall in this pit. He can't get out outside of you know the providence of God and, and the working of his heart. Um, so it just shows us the seriousness seriousness of idolatrous longings, whether it's physical or even just spiritual idolatry and, and idleness, or not idleness, idolatry. Um, these are pits that we cannot get out of apart from the grace of God and re regenerating our stony hearts. Yeah, amen. All right, verse 15, it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it out far from him. And we did talk about this um, last week when we talk about the rod. Um, we're not saying that one needs to be abusive to their children, but disciplining your children is a sign of loving them, uh, correcting them. Um, and the Bible is telling us that folly is bound up in the heart of the child. So sin is the greatest of all follies. This is what is bound up. Sin is bound up in the child's heart and correcting them, disciplining them, a spanking when they're young and, and uh, you know, not done in a abusive type way, but done in a correcting type way where, you know, as we mentioned it last week, it, it stings a bit so that they know this is wrong, but it's not to maim them or hurt them permanently, Right but it is correcting them and, and doing such a, such a, a disciplinary act to your children 
is to love them. It is to, to teach them that there are, there are consequences to your behavior. If you act a certain way, there's consequences because if you, if you let this go unchecked and you don't love your children, it kind of goes back to what we said about teaching your kids with the cats in the cradle. You're teaching mm-hmm. them it's okay to just go out and do whatever you want, and there's no there's no consequences for it. But eventually they're going to go out into the world and find out that there are consequences for their behavior and their actions. Mm-hmm. But you didn't train them that way. You didn't correct them. Because that folly that's bound up in the heart of the child, if it's not corrected, and as, as we've already mentioned, we cannot make our children Christians, but we can raise them with the principles that God has given to us so that when they go out there, their their ethic is one that's going to be at least, um, what's the right word? Uh, it's going to be thinking upon the things that they were raised in. Mm-hmm. It's not the word I wanted to use, but I couldn't think of the, the word I wanted to, to use. But they're going to be thinking upon those things as they were, were, were growing up. And so they're, they're going to hopefully make better decisions. But ultimately, to drive out that sin... They need to come to Christ permanently. I mean, to drive it out permanently is to, to come to Christ, right? Yeah. I think when we think about so folly is driven out far from him with the rod of discipline, but something has to replace it. And as we've can kind of see in other places, it's wisdom. And so one kind of technique in in thinking about this is exposing the folly of our children and then replacing it with the wisdom of God. So Mm. they know what to do next time. Right. Right. And so you, you drive it out with a, um, with the rod because they've sinned and there's consequences for sinning, but then we train them on how to then act appropriately. And unfortunately that time usually is not the last time that happens because mm-hmm. folly is still bound up in them. Right. And yeah, it's just, it gives them a pattern of how God operates in this world. God disciplines people for their sins. And even the wicked may seem to, to gain while on this earth, they will meet their end. And so the teaching our children at a young age that when you do something wrong, you deserve the punishment for it and being consistent and training and not just disciplining for disciplining, but disciplining to correct and to learn and to teach will drive their folly away and bring in wisdom And hopefully they will grow in this wisdom and give themselves to Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. And our final verse for tonight, uh, verse 16, it says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. And so, I mean, we've talked about this already a little bit here tonight um, with some previous uh, uh, passages here in, in chapter 22. But this oppression, and we've talked about it, where is most likely the oppression coming from? From the rich. So they're oppressing the poor to increase their their own wealth. You know, what do they say? The rich get richer on the backs of the poor, right? 
And then they're doing so, and it says, or gives to the rich. So they're doing this and giving more to the rich while the poor stay down and poor. And I'm not talking socialist or communism or anything like here, uh, right? We're not not getting into the, to that aspect of things because um, I'm not for that e either. But I'm just saying this is what we're seeing with a rich individual, uh, not, not just a rich individual, one who is oppressing the poor. Um, but they're going to come to poverty. They're going to come to ruin. Uh, as again, we've, we've already mentioned, the Bible speaks of reaping what you sow. Uh, we've covered uh, scriptures before. Uh, in the same chapter that we've gone through. So go ahead, Mike, close it out for us, and uh, we will wrap this one up tonight. Yeah, I think it, it just shows that, again, God will will show your sin and you will receive consequences. You know, if you're oppressing to get rich or you give money to the rich so you can get richer, um it will only lead you to poverty because you're not using your money wisely. And God, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a, a, a person who thinks about their money in a way to honor him with it. When one oppresses the poor, as we mentioned kind of at the top of the show about, I mean, already a couple times already, you are disgracing a creature he made. And he takes offense to that. God is near to the brokenhearted. And to, to attack the poor in that way is to attack, in some sense, God and his nature in which he's given to us. And so, there again, there's consequences with how we treat one another, kind of even relating to verse 15 and how we should teach our kids, train, train our kids to interact with people, people in different classes, statuses, and whatever that may be. And so and it causes us who are more wealthy, even in America, not that I'm wealthy in, in American standards, but in a world standards, you're a wealthy. It can, makes us consider how are we using our money to oppress the poor to gain our own wealth? Are we using it? Are we being gracious with our money and giving to the poor and helping? And what's fascinating when you think about this, especially in like terms of businesses, is that in recent years, that employers who treat their employees well make more money. Right. Just how it is. And that good leadership brings about better productive productivity mm -hmm. within a company. And I don't think wealth and poverty is a zero sum game. There's obviously creation of wealth um, and how that is. But when we, we think about how we treat others, it impacts how it is. Poor, you know, business practices from an owner will lose his money. He will lose his business. And so that's they also things to consider that, you know, those are business examples. But that goes with how we are with our it just deals with what is our heart towards money? Is it for do we love money that we'll do whatever we can to get it or do we love God that 
we would be willing to sell everything that we have and give it to the poor, as Jesus told the rich young ruler, which I spoke about today in our family devotions. You know, he loved his money more than he loved God. And Jesus pointed that sin out. And so that calls us, do we love our money more than we love our God? And this proverb shows that if we love money too much, it will bring us to poverty. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been uh, our program for tonight. Uh, Proverbs 22, 1 through 16. I know it's a 17 on there, but uh, it is 1 through 16. Uh, next week, we will cover 17 through 29 uh, here in the book of Proverbs chapter 22. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, that's g220radio at gmail.com. I just seen an angry face go up on our um, Facebook there. So... Uh, somebody was angry. Maybe it was they're angry because we're, we're over or maybe we're skipping verse 17. I don't know. But uh, anyways, um, uh, tune in to us next week. And uh, again, email us at G20 Radio if you got any questions. Until then, God bless.